0: Our gracious Father, I'm so grateful that when the day came that you had to leave the 99 to find the one, that you came to find me. Lord, each of us can tell the same story. There was a time when we were lost. And you as our shepherd, you found us and brought us home. And I'm so grateful for that. Father, as we talk about the end times, we talk about something very similar. Because there's going to be a day when you take us all home. and When the world will see your greatness. And I pray, Father, that you would guide us today. That you would speak to us through your word. That you would give us your grace and be glorified. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, we're going to read the opening. Wow. I just projected more. We're going to read the opening 20 verses of Mark 13 again. And then, by God's grace, we're going to get through verse 21 through 37 today. No promises. Then, as he went out of the temple, one of the disciples said to him, Teacher, See what manner of stones and what buildings are here. And Jesus answered and said to him, Do you see these great buildings? Not one stone shall be left upon another that shall not be thrown down. Now as he sat on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter, James, John, and Andrew asked him privately, Tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign when all these things will be fulfilled? And Jesus answered them and began to say, Take heed that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name, saying, I am he, and will deceive many. But when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be troubled, for such things must happen. But the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. And there will be earthquakes in various places, and famines and troubles, and these are the beginning of sorrows. But watch out for yourselves, for they will deliver you up to councils, and you will be beaten in the synagogues. You will be brought before rulers and kings for my sake, a testimony to them and the gospel must first be preached to all nations but when they arrest you and deliver you up do not worry beforehand or premeditate what you will speak but whatever is given you in that hour speak that for it is not you who speak but the holy spirit now brother will betray brother to death and father his child and children will rise up against their parents and cause them to be put to death and you'll be hated by all for my name's sake but he who endures to the end shall be saved. So when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, standing where it ought not, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let him who is on the housetop not go down into the house, nor enter to take anything out of the house. And let him who is in the field not go back to get his clothes, but woe to those who are pregnant and and to those who are nursing babies in those days. And pray that your flight may not be in winter. For in those days there will be tribulation. Such as has not been seen since the beginning of creation, which God created until this time, nor ever shall be. And unless the Lord had shortened those days, no flesh would be saved. But for the elect's sake, whom he chose, he shortened those days. So last week, we looked at the rapture. I want to do a quick recap of what we talked about the last two weeks. And I'm really going to do a quick recap because I really want to try to get done today. and if you missed either of those two weeks, highly recommend you go back and take a listen to them. Uh, but then we're going to try to finish Mark 13. So it starts off with the disciples asking questions. And Jesus, instead of really talking about when the stones would be pulled down, which happened in 70 AD, he warns them against deception in verses 5 through 8. Do not be deceived. In verses 9 through 13, he says, do not be surprised and do not give up. In verses 14 through 20, he says, do not ignore prophecy. The specific prophecy being referred to is Daniel chapter 9. Uh, Verses 24 through 27, which we looked at at length two weeks ago. And then last week we talked about why we believe, well, why I believe in a pre tribulation rapture. And if you don't believe in a pre tribulation rapture, okay, I'm still happy you're here. And if you do believe in a pre tribulation rapture, congratulations, you're correct. Been having really fun discussions with a good friend of mine, uh, and we disagree on this matter. Um, we di- we agree on everything, like everything, except the end times timetable or timeline. Um, and I told him, I said, you "No, know brother, I love you. It's okay that you're wrong." <laughs> Actually, I didn't say that to him, and he doesn't say that to me, even though we both think it. <laughs> but. He actually listened to my message last week. We tend to listen to each other's messages. He listened to my message last week, and and we were talking about different things. um, But there's a lot of reasons that I presented last week. And so, again, if you missed last week, go listen to that. Um, But there were several things, like wrath, that we are not appointed to wrath, that the church is not mentioned in Revelation 4 through 19, which depicts what verses 14 through 20 tell us about the tribulation period, which we also call the 70th week of Daniel. We also talked about Jewish typology, and I realized this week that I forgot a type last week that would have been great to include, so I'm going to give it to you in in 12 seconds flat, Abraham sacrificing Isaac. If you go back to the Old Testament and you read about the account of Abraham sacrificing Isaac, God tells Abraham, Abraham, I want you to sacrifice your son, your only son, Isaac. How many sons did Abraham have? Two, but he only counted Isaac, right? Ishmael didn't count. And he takes him to a mount. Anybody know which mount he was on? You guys remember? Mount Moriah, M-O-R-I-A-H, Mount Moriah. It has another name in the New Testament. It's called Golgotha. It's the mountain on which Jesus himself was crucified, where Jerusalem's built. Um, same mountain, folks. On their way up, Isaac, who was a strapping young lad at this point, right? Not 10 or 12, probably in his 20s, or maybe even early 30s. were walking up, they got the wood, they got the fire. And he looks at his dad, he goes, hey, uh, Dad, we got the wood, we got the fire. Where's the sacrifice? This beautiful prophecy there in the book of Genesis. God will provide himself a sacrifice. Now, some of your translations, insert the word for, F-O-R. God will provide for himself a sacrifice, but that's not what it says in Hebrew. God will provide himself a sacrifice. Very, very prophetic. So he goes up there, he ties Isaac up, places him on the altar where the fire is going to be. Why would Isaac allow that? It's a son surrendering to his father. Jesus prayed, not my will, but yours be done. I'm getting to how this relates to the rapture, I promise He raises the knife to kill him, and a voice cries out from heaven, and God tells Abraham, stop. And he looks over, and there's a ram caught in the thicket, and they kill the ram, and Isaac is probably thinking like, dude, what was that? (laughs) But here's the beautiful thing. When Abraham comes down the mountain, the Bible does not record that Isaac is with him. Isaac was with him, had to be, unless he lived up there for a while, but he did come down with Abraham. Abraham. The next chapter, Abraham sends his servant, a man whose name is Eliezer. His name means helper. The Holy Spirit is called our helper. He sends Eliezer into a foreign land to do what? To get a bride for his son. And the next time we see Isaac is when the servant Eliezer brings the bride home. Jesus is waiting. His Holy Spirit is here now, gathering a bride for him. And we will see him when he brings us home. It's a pretty astounding type. Ah. But that's the various reasons why we believe in a pre-tribulation rapture. One argument that we talked about that I didn't bring up last week again, and then I promise we're moving forward, is this Idea that the rapture was not taught until uh, the later 1800s, mid to late 1800s, that it was not taught by any of the early church fathers, that it was not believed um, until uh, I think it was Darby or uh, MacDonald. Uh, there's a couple names that get thrown out that they started teaching it in, in the 1800s, but it was never thought of before then, and that is incorrect. There are several church fathers from the second, third, and fourth century who referred to scriptures like uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter four, where we talked about being caught away, the harpazo, which the Latin says is rapture, but we can call it the catching away, the harpazo. Um, Several church fathers wrote about that in uh, the second, third, and fourth centuries. So it was thought about and talked about and taught a long time before the dissenters said that it wasn't. Now, If a person believes in a different eschatological timeline, good for them. I don't care. I'm not going to divide over it. I'm not going to get angry about it. I'm not even really willing to argue about it. I am perfectly content believing what I believe the Bible teaches for the reasons that I believe it and knowing that other people may have other views, but their views aren't heresy. Their views aren't even particularly unbiblical. What we disagree on is an interpretation of a few different passages. Um, and that's okay. right? They still believe Jesus is the only way to heaven, just like me. They still believe that the Bible is the word of God, just like me. They still believe there's only one God who's revealed himself to us as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, just like me. And so, why would we divide over the end times? You guys ready to move forward? As I promised... Come on, that recap only took 11 minutes. That's not bad for me. Come on. Um, Verse 21. I know, it's exciting. Verse 21. Then if anyone says to you, look, here's the Christ, or look, he is there, do not believe him. For false Christs and false prophets will rise and show signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. But take heed, see, I have told you all things beforehand. But in those days, after the tribulation the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light the stars of heaven will fall the powers of heaven will be shaken then they will see the son of man coming in the clouds with great power and glory and then he will send his angels and gather together his elect from the four winds from the farthest part of the earth to the farthest part of heaven and now learn this parable from the fig tree When its branch has already become tender and puts forth leaves, you know that summer is near. So you also, when you see these things happening, know that it is near at the doors. Assuredly, I say to you, this generation will by no means pass away till all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away. My words will by no means pass away. But of that day and hour, no one knows. Not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Take heed, watch, and pray, for you do not know when the time is. It is like a man going to a far country, who left his house, and gave authority to his servants, and to each his work, and commanded the doorkeeper to watch. Watch, therefore, for you do not know when the master of the house is coming. In the evening, at midnight, at the crowing of the rooster, or in the morning? Lest coming suddenly he find you sleeping, and what I say to you, I say to you. All watch. So back to verse 21. If anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or look, he is there, do not believe it. False Christs and false prophets will rise and show signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. But take heed. See, I have told you all things before. So he began with a warning earlier in chapter 13 that we should not be deceived. And now he tells us that we should not go after what is false. This includes false Christs, false prophets, false signs and wonders, and we are told to take heed or pay attention. And if we are paying attention to what's going on in the world around us, this is rampant. It is rampant, false people claiming to be some sort of Messiah. It was happening in the first century church and in the second and third and fourth and fifth. And it happened over and over and over again. And the early church was like, nope, we're not going after that. But as time went on, people became less biblically literate and started following what was false because they didn't know what was true. And you may not think I'm right about that. And just do the research. Look at how many cults there are, how many world religions, how many people over the last 50 to 100 years, and you could go even farther back than that, but how many people who have claimed to be Jesus? There's been quite a few of them. There was the guy, uh, it was Jim Jones. He didn't actually, I don't think he actually claimed to be Jesus, but he claimed to be some sort of deity and convinced hundreds of people to commit suicide together by drinking Kool-Aid. Then you had David Koresh. Convinced people, the branch Davidians, you know why they were called that? Because he said he was the descendant of King David. He was the incarnate Messiah. And as a result of that, he forced his followers to let him have sex with their children. It doesn't break my heart that he burned to death. He still is. Right? There, it's, it exists. And we would like to think, oh, no, that, no, it exists, my brothers and sisters, and the reason we study the Word of God the way we do is because I want you to know the truth so you don't follow any type of deception like that. And so whether it's a person claiming to be a false messiah or a false prophet, and oh my gosh, I have gotten on this soapbox a lot lately. (laughs) There's a story. But I've gotten on this soapbox a lot lately, but it's for a good reason. False prophecy exists all over the place. What about false signs and wonders? Those exist too. And here's the problem with the false signs and wonders. I believe God can do miracles. I've seen it. I believe God can heal, both physically, emotionally, spiritually. I said both, and then I named three things. I majored in theology, not math. Right? I've seen God do those things repeatedly in my own life, in my family, in the lives of others. And so I know it's true. And then you get some... Huckster, I like that word, Huckster, who goes on television and starts throwing the Holy Spirit at people. What a load of garbage. I want to use another word, but I'm being recorded. It's garbage. You can't throw the Holy Spirit at people. Right? If the Holy Spirit wants to fall on somebody, wants to fill somebody, awesome! He can do that. I can't throw him at you. I can pray for you. That, that, that the Holy Spirit would descend and fill and empower, but I can't throw him at you or hitting people on the head. The first church we were a part of, this is, you ever seen that? Be healed. Somebody does that to me, I'm hitting back. You want to pray for me to be healed? Awesome. You want to put your hand on my shoulder, hold my hand, give me a hug? Sweet! You hit me in the head. We're going to have a problem. And I'll give you $1,000 out of my pocket if you can show me one place in the Bible where that took place. $1,000. I don't have it. That's how confident I am that it's not in here. First church we went to had a towel ministry. Anybody familiar with a towel ministry in church? There were people, ladies, who sat in the front row of the church with towels, right? And it wasn't because the pastor was a slobber puss and, you know, spit on everybody while he preached. It was he would call a woman up. And she would fall over with a dress on. And so the towel ministry would run up and cover her up with the dress. So you could not see her unmentionables. That's the stupidest thing on earth. Okay, there might be something stupider, but I don't know what it is. You don't need a towel ministry. How about you don't slap people on the head and knock them on the ground and claim it's to give them healing? False signs and wonders. Can God heal? 100%. Do the gifts of the Spirit exist today? Absolutely. Are they abused and used to deceive people? Over and over and over again. Galatians 1, through 8-9. But even we or another angel from heaven, preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you than what you have received, let him be accursed. I love that word, accursed, anathema in the Greek, and it means destined for destruction. Destined for destruction. And Paul says, if I'm the one who does it, I will be accursed. If it's an angel from heaven, let them be accursed. If it's anybody who preaches any other gospel, let them be destined for destruction. How many of you know how Mormonism started? Joseph Smith, out in the forest, and an angel meets him. An angel named Morani. Okay, he said it pronounced Mor- Moroni, but it's Moron with an I at the end. Oh, how appropriate. I would apologize, but the, the, the uh, uh, Mormons are so horribly deceived, it's sad. The angel Moroni led him to golden plates, which he refused to ever show anybody. These golden plates had a special language on them, from which he received, quote-unquote, the Book of Mormon which could be more appropriately titled The Book of Lies. Do I believe Joseph Smith saw an angel? I do. I believe it was a demon. And I believe the Book of Mormon was a lie. The whole Book of Mormon and the Pearl of Great Price and all of their other garbage is a lie straight from the pit of hell. I believe that. Why? If he had... Well, I don't think he was a believer. He was a liar and a snake and... and pedophile and all kinds of other things Um, he's on fire also but if he were a believer or any of the other people who claimed to be followers of christ would have just read galatians 1 8 and 9 as soon as moron boy showed up and said i'm going to give you a false religion or whatever it was joseph smith would have said have you never read the book of galatians i have i ain't listening 1 Thessalonians 5 21 says, Test all things, hold fast what is good. How do we test it? With the Word of God. Second Timothy 4 1 through 5. I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season, convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching, for the time will come Think about those words. When we preach the word, and you may say, well, that's your job. Yeah, but we can all share the truth of God's word with each other and people around us. And there can be times when maybe we have to convince somebody. Well, I'm not sure that the Bible says that. Really? There it is. Unless you're wrong, then don't do that. Um, Right? You rebuke. I don't ever look at a person and say, you're wrong because of this, that, or the other thing. I will say, you know what? I see this in your life, and this is what the Bible says. Because if we want to start pointing out each other's faults, man, we're going to be here a long time. But the Bible can tell us. How about exhortation, right, to encourage and build up and help people walk through not just the victories in life, but the challenges and the difficulties of life. And then we do it with long-suffering. We do it patiently. Because if you've been around people, anybody? Like I've been around people, you know we're a little hard-headed. And we're a little slow. And sometimes we don't get it right away. Sometimes we don't get it after many, many years. Bless you. There's lessons that I should have learned a long time ago that God is still dealing with in me. I wish I'd learned them. would have been so much easier, but I haven't yet but with all long-suffering and teaching. And why did he tell us to do this? For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. Basically what that boils down to is there will come a time when people don't want to hear the truth. What they want to hear is what they want to hear does that make sense they don't want to hear the truth of god's word they want to go somewhere where they will be told what they want not what they need they will be told right you're such a great person no wonder god loves you Uh uh-uh same friend that i talked to about a lot of stuff heard a message from another pastor in town and i'm not going to say who it was um But this pastor did an entire sermon where where they told the congregation that, of course, God saved them because they were the greatest people, because they were lovable, because they were righteous, because they were good. And why wouldn't God save somebody who's so good? It made sense to him that God would save them because they were so lovable. That ain't the gospel. That is false teaching. Oh, I want to say it. That is straight up false teaching. Why did God save you? Why did God save me? Is it because I'm so good? It ain't because of the way I look. It's not because I'm tall or fat or Italian. Okay, maybe it's because I'm Italian. No, I'm joking. (laughs) We do have the best food. All right, I'm just saying Italians, close second, Chinese. Love Chinese food. Well, of course, then Mexican food's really good too. Okay, food is wonderful, but we Italians know how to make it and eat it. Uh, That's not why he saved me. He didn't like, man, that guy can cook a lasagna. Let's bring him to heaven. Why did he save me? I am poor, miserable, wretched, blind, and naked. I am a sinner. I think awful things. I do awful things. Sometimes I even say awful things. Why did he save me? Because he loves me. And if I can ever figure out why, I'll let you know. Because I don't deserve that. And in case you're wondering, neither do you. That is the grace that is the beauty of the gospel why would we ever preach any other gospel than that because people don't want to hear that they're wretched miserable poor blind and naked they want to hear oh you're wonderful and you can live your best life now and 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 you're pretty and and if you can be rich and you can be healthy and you can have anything you ever wanted and god has to give it to you if you hit somebody on the head they're liars Paul went on to tell the Galatians a little later on, do you hate me because I tell you the truth? I have been hated for telling people the truth. And if you think about it, you probably have too. I will never stop telling you the truth. I will never change the way I approach and share the word of God. I will never preach to you any other Jesus. I will never tell you any other gospel. I will happily remind you that you're a sinner in need of his salvation. And Some people don't like that. Why? I'm not shiny and new. Okay, I'm a little shiny, but I'm not not shiny and new. We don't have fog machines, right? You've got to put up with me singing, I'm sorry. You've got to deal with sermons that are probably too long, I'm not sorry. I'm not. But I will always tell you the truth, I promise. I promise. And if I ever stop, fire me. Like that. Verse 24. Y'all thought I was just, let's just be done there. No, But in those days, after the tribulation, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, the stars of heaven will fall, and the powers of heavens will be shaken. They will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. And then he will send his angels and gather together his elect from the four winds, from the farthest part of the earth to the farthest part of heaven. I put a simple point here. Do not think Jesus is not coming back. Too many people have gotten apathetic because they think Jesus isn't coming back. He is. Here, as in many other places, Jesus tells us he's coming back. He's patient, and we are not. His timing is perfect, and ours is not. But whether it's by trumpet sound or bus horn that you didn't hear before you stepped off the curb and got clobbered, one way or the other, Jesus is coming back for all of us. We watched a, a great, horrible movie last night. UHF. Weird Al Yankovic, 1989 classic movie, so bad. If you don't like airplane kind of humor, don't watch it. Don't watch airplane either. But um, that kind of humor, well, they're doing a parody of Indiana Jones. And this one guy refuses to go in the cave. He goes, well, if we go in the cave, we're gonna die. So he leaves, he steps backward out of the cave, right? And they sit with him wandering through a jungle, coming up to the cave. Steps out of the cave, he gets hit by a train. It's the irony of it, right? There's no real train there. Um, but it's the same for us. Oh, maybe we can think we can avoid it there or we can avoid it there, but Hebrews 9.27 says, it's appointed for men to die once and after this, the judgment. And that is so comforting because if you're not supposed to die yet, you're not going to. And if you are, okay. But that's up to God. In Acts 11, the angels told the disciples that Jesus was going to come back in like manner. In John 14, 1 through 3, Jesus himself promised, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Now when we come back real quick. It says, in those days after the tribulation, notice Jesus says he's returning after the tribulation, which fits in beautifully with my timeline, because the rapture is not his return. We talked about this last week. The rapture, he takes us up, and in the return, we all come back. And when it talks about the angels gathering the elect from the four corners of the earth, to the, or from the farthest part of the earth to the farthest part of heaven. That is, those who have gotten saved during the tribulation, along with the rest of us all being brought to the same place to come back with him. And when does he come back? After the tribulation. Revelation 19, 11 through 16. I say this far too often, but this is one of the best parts of of the entire Bible, and one of my favorite scriptures, so much so that I actually have this scripture tattooed on me. Here's what it says. Now I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. And he who sat on him was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. John 1.1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus is the Word. And the armies of heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. That's us. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword that with it he should strike the nations and he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of almighty God. And he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. That is the return of Jesus Christ. That is separate from the rapture. Some people see it differently. That's fine. I don't actually care. That's the return of Christ. And when he comes, he comes as a conquering king. And when he comes, it is the word of God that conquers. That is the sword that comes out of his mouth. Remember Hebrews 4.12, that the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, able to divide between soul and spirit, bone and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. I have a theory now, you guys know I have a lot of theories about the end times, which I cannot prove. But it says that this sword comes out of his mouth, and with it he strikes the nations. And I've often wondered, what does he say, since it is the word of God that overcomes? What does he say? What could it possibly be? And I'm going to tell you, I don't actually know. But I have a guess. You want to know what that guess is? I think he says, I win. You want to know why I think that? Because that's what I would say. I would come back on a white horse, the armies of heaven following me, the whole world looking at me and trembling, and going, "I win." Now, is that actually what he's going to say? I would bet money it's not. But I'm—I think it would be cool. The point is, do not think he is not coming back. It makes us lazy. Oh, I've got years before Jesus returns. Why do I have to worry about that now? No, worry about it now. Well, don't worry about it. Just do what he's telling you to do now. Because you're not guaranteed tomorrow or next week or next year. You're not. And maybe God's going to leave you here for 50 more years and all kinds of incredible things are going to happen. Or maybe he's going to take you home tonight. We don't know. Maybe he's going to take us all home tonight. woo Okay, one of these days. I'm going to pause like that when I'm talking about the rapture. And like someone's phone is going to go off or something and we're going to be all freaked out. Or one day I'm going to do it and that's going to be the moment he takes us home. And man, is that going to be cool. Okay, it's probably not going to happen that way. But this is the point I'm making. We get lazy when we don't think he's coming. People get spiritually lazy. They think, well, I can get right with God before I die. Oh, bad idea. How do you know you're going to have a nice, slow lingering disease that will give you time to repent. You don't know that. Get right now. How do you know? Well, I've got plenty of time to do the things God has called me to do. How do you know? Do it now. By his grace, in his timing, right? I'm not telling you to step out ahead of God, but do it now. Verse 28, do not doubt God's word. Now learn this parable from the fig tree. When its branch has already become tender and puts forth leaves, you know that summer is near. So also, when you see these things happening, know that it is near at the doors. Assuredly, I say to you, this generation will by no means pass away till all things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, and my words will by no means pass away. One reason people tend to think that the tribulation has been fulfilled is a poor interpretation of verse 30. They think that when Jesus says this generation will not pass away, he's talking to his disciples, and they were still alive in 70 AD. Most of them, anyway. Not all of them. And so they say, well, see, they saw it happen. And so he said, this generation will see it happen. That's why the tribulation and all that is is past tense. No, the generation that sees these signs will not pass away before all come to pass. That's what that verse means. Now the question, is that our generation? God, I hope so. I really do. I hope it's our generation. It might not be. Because remember, when you go all the way back to verse 8, kingdom against kingdom, earthquakes, famines, troubles, that's the beginning of sorrows. So maybe all we're really seeing is the beginning. We're still in the last days, that I know. Because the beginning of the sorrows is the beginning of the last days. But are we seeing the culmination of that or are we just seeing the beginning? I don't know. And I'm not going to guess. But here's the point. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will no means pass away. And whether we're speaking about prophecy, the fulfillment of the Old Testament, God's instructions for our salvation in Christ through the gospel, we must not doubt God's word. He has promised to fulfill it all. Jeremiah 1:12 Then the Lord said to me You have seen well for I am watching over my word to perform it He knows every period exclamation point letter word sentence phrase paragraph book from Genesis 1:1 to Revelation 22:21 not one bit Will fail. He has promised us that. Verse thirty-two. But of that day and hour no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Take heed, watch, and pray, for you do not know when the time is. It is like a man going to a far country who has left his house and gave authority to his servants, and to each his work, and commanded the doorkeeper to watch. Watch therefore, for you do not know when the master of the house is coming. In the evening, at midnight, in at the crowing of the rooster, or in the morning, lest coming suddenly he find you sleeping. And what I say to you, I say to all, watch. Jesus plainly tells us that only the Father knows when all these things will happen. Perhaps when Jesus was exalted to the right hand of God 40 days after his resurrection, his Father let him in on it. However, there's no place in Scripture that confirms that. So we will never predict Or pretend to know when Jesus is coming back. If someone has or does predict the return of Christ, they are a false prophet. They are claiming to know more than the Son of God. Now, if somebody comes to you and says, I know when Jesus is coming back, or they ever have, you can look at them and go, you're a liar and a false prophet. You are not smarter than Jesus. I guarantee it. So ignore them. Treat them like we would any other false prophet or teacher. But what are we supposed to do? Three things and we're done, I promise. Watch. Be aware of what's going on and stay awake. That's what it means. Hebrews 2.1 says, Therefore we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. Pay attention to what's going on. Pay attention to the world. Okay. As little as absolutely possible, but it's good to know what's happening but pay attention to the word. And don't drift away from the truth. Watch, pray, constantly be in prayer. Constantly be in prayer for Israel. Constantly be in prayer for the lost. Constantly be in prayer for God's will and purpose for you. Constantly be in prayer for God to send laborers into his harvest, for opportunities to share the gospel. Constantly be in prayer for one another, for strength, for endurance, Constantly be in prayer. 1 Thessalonians 5.17 says, pray without ceasing. Matthew 26.41, in the garden Jesus told his followers, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. The prayer practice that we're starting next week will help us get better at that. And I really hope nobody thinks that, oh, I, I pray fine, we can all get better, at prayer. Finally be ready. Since we don't know when he's coming, like the master of the house that Jesus told us, maybe he's going to come in the morning. Maybe he's going to come at midnight. Right? If you're an early person and he comes when the rooster crows, then you'll be awake. If he comes at one in the morning, chances are I'll be awake. Um, But there's only one way to be ready for the return of the king. And that is to be saved by the free gift of his grace through the death and resurrection of Christ. Luke 12, 35 through 40 says this. Stay dressed for action. Keep your lamps burning and be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast, so that they may open the door to him once he comes and knocks. Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will dress himself for service and have them recline at table. And he will will come and serve them. If he comes in the second watch or in the third, right, this is the middle of the night, and finds them awake, blessed are those servants. But know this, that if the master of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would have not left his house to be broken into. You also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. I love it. If you want more detail, we're going to close. If you want more detail, on my YouTube page, beware the caffeinated pastor. I have a Revelation study, a Daniel study, and a Zechariah study, and I highly recommend you listen to them in that order. And well, I wasn't that, was not Zechariah in the Old Testament and Daniel in the Old Testament? Or well, yes, it is. But if you listen to them in that order, at least in my mind, it makes more sense. So how do we close? How do we conclude the manner? Well, the That's really funny i just told siri to wake up um well we watch and we pray and we're ready seems simple doesn't it spend time in the word understanding what the bible teaches us will happen be about the father's business right that's what it means to be ready for the master's return is that we are doing what he has asked us to do it doesn't matter what's going on in the world It doesn't matter who gets elected president, or for us, who gets elected to the school board. I'm not telling you not to vote. Go vote, you should vote, right? If you're like us, you got your ballot sitting at home and you're just waiting to sit down and fill it out. And you should vote, it's our civic duty and our civil right. I'm not gonna tell you who to vote for. And if your candidate loses, who cares? Doesn't matter what the economy looks like, what nations are at war, what the media wants us to be scared of next. None of that changes our mission. None of it. Yes, those things will impact us, and yes, we should be informed, but we cannot let those things paralyze us and keep us from doing what God has called us to do. So, no matter what happens, our calling and purpose does not change. Matthew 18 28 to 20. That is wrong. It's not Matthew 18. It's Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20. I got them mixed up. Is it wrong up there? Yeah, no, it's Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and, lo, I am with you always, even to the end. 2 Corinthians 5 20 through 21. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf be reconciled to God. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. In all things, keep your eyes on Jesus. Let's pray. Father, I give you all the glory. First off, that we finished Mark 13. Thank you, God. <laughs> yeah, it one me. Um, but God, we just thank you that you've taught us these things. And while we've spent the last three weeks looking at it and we've talked about it extensively and I'm glad to continue that conversation because it's one of my favorite topics, it's not our focus. We're not waiting for the rapture. We're waiting for you. We're not waiting for the rise of the Antichrist. We're waiting for you. We're not waiting to see which wars or which nations or, or what, what, what. Jesus, we're waiting for you. Maranatha. Come quickly, my Lord. And until you do, while we wait, help us to faithfully serve you and to seek as you sought us to seek those who are lost so we can share your love with them so they can be ready. Be glorified in each of us, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.